for me, this wasn't about being a tourist. It was really about going and understanding the culture and being with local people. Um, Again, there's just so many synchronicities that it's hard to even start to describe. You're listening to Cassie Stockcamp talking about her amazing journeys around the world in 2019 and 2020. Cassie's my guest on this episode of Michael Loves Indy. friends. Welcome back to Michael Loves Indy. What if you could drop everything, travel the world, not as a tourist, but living in communities very different from the one that you grew up in in the United States, being a member of that community, developing relationships, contributing to that community as a volunteer, and in many different cultures that bear little resemblance to our own in the United States. That's exactly what our guest today, Cassie Stockcamp, did. For a little backstory on Cassie Stockcamp, she's someone who had been a business owner, a uh, leader of a great institution, the Athenaeum Foundation in Indianapolis, one of our civic leaders in Indianapolis. She's a great connector. I've known her for over 10 years, and she's connected me to so many people in our community doing important work, people who I've become friends with, and I'm grateful for that. She's also a yogi. And uh, you can find her documenting her own journey at her blog, CassieStockCamp.com. Cassie decided a few years ago that she was going to fulfill a dream of traveling the world, doing volunteer work, but living in communities and just seeing where this journey led her. And uh, she's been back for several months. She and I had had a few conversations, but I had always wanted just to sit down with her and kind of walk through it step by step and reflect on some of the real uh, important experiences she gained along the way. I think it's really, a lot of us live vicariously through people like Cassie Stockcamp. I mean, just the, the, the courage that it takes to take a trip like this. But the thing I found really fascinating, and again, uh, you can read a, a lot about it on her blog, is it, it was much a, a, a spiritual journey as anything else. And uh, yeah, just uh, I really enjoyed the conversation. I hope you do too. Um, hope you enjoy this conversation with Cassie Stockcamp. Thank you for taking the time. I realized that, like, you and I have had conversations since. I was going to say since you've been back, but now there've been multiple phases of you being back because you did <laughs> travel multiple countries. You did the Lake Michigan tour and everything like that. And I have never kind of taken the time to hear and, and kind of ask you to start to string it together, you know, sure. and, and, and how, and how that um, has impacted your, you know, who you are and your views and coming, you know, coming back to Indianapolis. So I, I, I would just, I know that's a, a, <laughs> that's a long, that's leading, a question. But I just, yeah, <laughs> but I, you know, um, where do you want to start? start? Start. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe starting with, um, with starting at the beginning of the journey. Ah, okay. Well, the beginning of the journey started on new year's Eve of 2018. I thought that was an auspicious day to leave. Right. Pretty funny. And actually it started at the airport 
here I have my backpack. <laughs> it's literally a backpack um, and a front bag. And I'm going to Sydney, Australia. And I, I uh, present my ticket and he asked if I have a visa. And I said, of course I have my visa. And he's fumbling around the guy at the ticket counter. And he comes back and says, you don't have a visa. <laughs> this is the day I'm leaving. I'll never forget that. Well, two hours later, somehow he was able to call Australia. I had transposed one number in my passport and I didn't have a visa <laughs> to get into Australia. So it was that, it's so funny. These are just a beautiful wow. metaphor that this is how this whole thing's gonna roll. I, I literally thought, oh my God, I don't have a place to go back to in Indianapolis. I am gonna have to buy another ticket somewhere. Anyway, it was just fascinating, but it all turned out. And I realized that this isn't gonna be smooth. It's not gonna be perfect. And at the very onset, that was my first lesson. So, in that while, and, and your your mission for the trip was to go to all these different places, and if I'm remembering correctly, just be there, have a spiritual experience as much as anything. Volunteer. At, at, can you can you talk about your and community, and community? Right. That was that for me. This wasn't about being a tourist. It was really about going and understand as much as possible, understanding the culture and being with local people. Um, again, there's just so many synchronicities that it's hard to even start to describe. But the first place that I went to was in Australia to a yoga retreat center, teaching yoga, but also, I mean, talk, I work my butt off. It was a retreat center and I was changing out beds and we were preparing meals for 20 people a day. And, oh, and it was a hundred degrees. <laughs> But it was there where I met, oh my gosh, friends from Berlin and Italy and Czechoslovakia and uh, you know, yogis literally from all over the world that I am still in touch with. So I was, I was there for a month um, and it's, it's beautiful because all these places I could go back to had amazing experiences, both spiritual, emotional, friendship wise. Under, uh, did some traveling. I was there around Australia. God, this, that's a huge country. Again, I had never been to Australia. Holy cow. It's, it's, I think it's actually bigger than the US, isn't it? I mean, it's just in the diversity of all that. So I clearly didn't even touch um, a tenth of, of, of Australia. But since I'm on that part of the country uh, or side of the world, I went to New Zealand next, which is just stunning. And um, went down into Wellington and worked at an organic flower farm with his family. Wow. And got up every morning and we dug flowers and we pinched off flowers. And then, and then the afternoon, she took me around and we met her friends. We went walking in olive gardens and clipped eucalyptus and met a woman that was, came from England. I'll never forget this. She had actually made wedding dresses for the royalty. And she was back here now making <laughs> clothing. I mean, it was just... Just, I, it's hard to describe because every single place I went to, it was just a really fascinating experience. Um, and New Zealand is just gorgeous, 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 gorgeous. And so, and then, but being with the family, learning about the indigenous culture there, um, they have grappled with uh, their indigenous people in, in a way that's, as has Australia, vastly different. Many of yeah. the road signs actually have are, you know, in dual language because they understand what they've been doing. So there's been a real reckoning that's happening there. Um, and it was, I just started to get the flavor of understanding there are so many ways to live yeah. in heavens. And from, from Wellington, then I went up to Auckland and actually worked at a hostel. And I, it was a pretty hippie hostel. It was called Fat Pack, Fat Cat Backpackers. 
oh my gosh, with all these 20 something year old kids and I, you're going to laugh. I slept in a van. Yeah. <laughs> the van didn't even run, but every night yeah. the kids were just gently partying every night at about 10 30, 11 o'clock I'd say adios amigos. And I'd walk out to the van that was parked along the railroad tracks and no <laughs> my bed set up. Oh my God. Hilarious. I know. I, it was an amazing experience, but I saw, I found all these young people again, literally from around the world, they would take off and travel. They would go home and work for four or five months, save up their money so they could go back out again. And they were on the road for months and months and months at a time and, and having these kind of experiences. And it's not as expensive to travel as what you think either. That's the other thing I learned. People think you, well, it's pretty odd for someone my age to do that kind of style of traveling. I get yeah. that, right? But it's it's not as difficult as what it was. So anyway, so after um, New Zealand is incredibly stunning, absolutely stunning. I it's just hard to describe. I mean, every place you go is just there's beautiful places yeah. to go. So after New Zealand, then um, I had actually wanted to go to Bali, but couldn't find a volunteer opportunity. So I ended up going to Sri Lanka, a little that little island off the southern tip of India. Yes, and went to stayed with a family who had had a coconut farm. And they had, the, you know, I learned how to make uh, literally uh, buffalo mozzarella, right? I had no idea what, they were, what, what that term meant. Well, it comes from the buffalo specific cow. Anyway, wow. buffalo mozzarella. We, I learned how to do all the different things, coconut milk and coconut juice. Oh, this is wild. And, and were, they, the, were they Tamil people? I'm trying they to They weren't. They, okay. No, it's, uh, no, they okay. were not. Because Tamil is one of the languages of, Sri Lanka, is it? Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, exactly. Good point. Have yeah. you been? No, I went to India. Helen and I went to India when we were graduate students um, and saw three different cities, but never that far south. Yeah. Yeah, and it's, it feels like India light. Because okay. as you know, India's hard. Well, I mean, it's, it's, there's a lot, right? India, yes. there's a lot. <laughs> yes. There's a lot. So um, after uh, Sri Lanka, so I was with them. Oh, gosh, it was amazing. Uh, they were, I rode their this rickety old bike they were a mile or two from the beach and most beautiful how, water how were oh you connected God. i mean how were you connected to, oh. to to that family when was it while you were in new zealand great question so i used um a website called workaway okay workaway.info and i liken it to the airbnb of volunteer opportunities around the world so it lists literally is just this pe uh, people sign up either their businesses or their individuals that have an, a volunteer, they want an, a volunteer. And then you, there's reviews of the host and the volunteer. So you get that transparency. And then you, the individual, contact them directly and you coordinate wow. everything. And typically when you work uh, or volunteer four to five hours a day, whatever that is, you oftentimes get room and board for free. Wow. Right. Actually in Sri Lanka, I think I, I paid something every day because it's that economy is so, so challenging. But sure. anyway, it was, it was, but again, so I actually, they took me to a Buddhist wedding to one of their friends. It was, so it, the beauty of being in community, I can't, I don't think I can ever travel without this kind of exposure to community ever again, because it makes it so real. It's, wow. it's the relationships that really solidify that experience because it's, it's again, all the beautiful mountains and the vistas, they all roll up in my mind, but I can pinpoint the experience because of the people. So are, and by the way, just for background, are you, so, I mean, I know you to be a very um, person who, who easily 
meets people, develops relationships, makes people feel very welcome. Are you an extrovert though on the spectrum or are you an introvert that's just developed that side of yourself? Yeah, that's a great question. So I learned that I am an, I, uh, I'm an, I paid to be an E. So yeah, absolutely an introvert. And, and yet it was nice because in these situations, you know, I'd go into my bedroom and I was alone. Well, that's not true. When I was in hostels, <laughs> I was with yeah. everybody. So I did have to find time to carve out for myself in ways that I never had to do before. Um, yeah, I'm just thinking of that experience. So every morning I would literally ride to the beach, do my yoga, take a swim, and then go back to be with the family. So what, yeah, that was magical. Wow. Right. And then um, I, one, one thing, again, it, it's, it's two weeks out of my life, and it was 18 years ago going to India. But um, I do remember, you know, the fact that I hate to say it, but the fact that a large percentage of the population speaks English, including everybody in the service industry in India, it does make it, if you're from America or, you know, UK or Canada, easier to get around. Is that true of Sri Lanka as well? That's a great question. So the family I stayed with, and I, my language skills are, are, are fairly poor. So I always did pick a family that had an English speaker in it. So the, the, uh, the husband was an English speaker okay. and the other, the other family members were, were able to ask a question or two, but that's a great question. So from there, I did go to India. I went to an wow. ashram in Hyderabad and it was, I, oh, that was a wild experience. I don't even know how to go into depth with this. Um, so I went there to volunteer. It was, uh, I, w- I went because they were creating this green environmental uh, ashram, planting trees. It, it was absolutely stunning from that perspective, but it was in the middle. It feels like uh, desert isn't the right word. It's what is it? Dry, just dry. What do, I don't, what do you call that kind of? geography there yeah. right it's, it's just yeah anyway so but I walked into this room where I was supposed to sleep and I'm not exaggerating when I tell you there were a hundred bunk beds and it was a hundred degrees and as you remember there aren't well where I was there wasn't any air conditioning <laughs> so it was a challenging couple days but somehow the guru found that I was there and bless it, I'll never forget that moved me to a private apartment with air conditioning I don't know that I would have survived very long because that was, it was physically a really difficult place to be. Um, but the piece thing that was interesting about India is I met a woman, I had heard about a program called the Brighter Minds program where they were teaching children how to use all of their senses. And I'm at dinner one night and um, a friend introduces me to this woman and she says, oh, she's the founder of Brighter Minds. I'm like, well, of course you, I wanted to see, you're gonna get blown away by this, Michael. Um, so she calls over one of her students and says, hey, do you have, I was at a pizza place and they had a couple of her students were working at the pizza joint um, at this ashram. And she called him over and says, do you have a, a blindfold in your backpack? And he said, yeah, I do. So she calls him over, he puts the blindfold on and then she looks at me and says, um, pull a book out of your book, out of your backpack. And I hand her the book, she hands him the book and he's got a blindfold on. Number one, he turns it the right way. Then he puts it up against his chest. He smells it. He puts it up against his ear, the top of his head. And then he runs his fingers over it. And then he reads me the title. Okay, right, right. That's what I did. I'm like, okay, you can see through it, right? All my my American skepticism. And then she looked at me and said, "Um, what did I do next? Um, Oh, she said, do you have a piece of paper? I said, I do. She said, write something on it. So I wrote something on it. He's still blindfolded. She folded it in half. She handed it to him. He didn't open it up. He did the same thing against his heart, smelled it against his nose and top of his head, 
ran his fingers over it, and he read me the quote, to be or not to be, that is the question. And I'm looking at her and then she, he had to go off and she called then her son over. And I heard about this kid because he supposedly shoots archery blindfolded. And so he puts on um, the blindfold and then she looks at me and says, type something on your phone and hand it to him. So I type something on my phone and I thought, well, to be or not to be, you know, that's a quote. If you're any educated person might get that one. <laughs> I'm not quite sure how I would ever think that. But I handed him the phone and it was literally within one or two seconds. He read to me, and this is what I had written, what is the population of Russia? <laughs> I then looked at her and said, okay, we're done. What the hell is happening? And she started off by saying, we all possess these abilities. We all have the ability to use all of our senses, not just our eyesight. And she went on to talk about, you know, the, and it was, we were in an ashram where we were meditating twice a day. We were eating vegetarian, right? You're in this atmosphere that is, is, is very spiritual and, and reflective and all of those things are going on. So, I mean, we were creating that kind of an atmosphere. And then I looked at her and I said, I want to learn. She said, well, I've only had two adults ever go through the class. I said, well, she said, it's, a, it's an eight-day class. And I said, well, I have eight more days in India, <laughs> of course, right? So I went through it, Michael. And it was, I, it was a class in meditation? It was a class in... It was a class in... And, and how do you learn to use all of your senses? And it was... Wow. So it started off by having on earphones and discordant music that was... It's literally kind of rewiring your brain. It was a lot of um, stuff on the internet where it's right and left brain sensed. And then the first day, she put a blindfold on me, Michael. And I, I started to panic. I'm like, well, I don't, I don't have, what? I don't, can't do this. And she put a plastic ball in my hand and just said, take a breath, center, right? Just calm yourself down and just tell me what you see in your mind's eye. Just talk to me. Very calm and soothing. And I literally said, all I see is a black sky with stars in it. And then all of a sudden, it was so bizarre. And I remember physically cringing because a red tulip popped up. And I said, a red tulip popped up. And she said, take off your blindfold. And I was holding a red ball. <laughs> so that's, that, was, I, that was a wild experience. And it continued on from there. And I learned that we, I and we all possess, I did things that I never thought I could do. And I can tell you the blindfold, you can't see through the blindfold. It's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's to totally blacks it out. Um, so that was a wild experience. I then came home, my daughter graduated. So I tried to stay at least a month in each country. Yeah. And um, um, came home, my daughter graduated from, from IU. And then I said, you know, this is a gift I can give you is where do you want to go in the world? This is what I'm doing. And I let her lead and she wanted to go to Buenos Aires. So I took wow. my two girls. I know how lovely. So we took my two girls down. Um, she was with us for three weeks and we were tourists. We went to Igua, um, uh, waterfalls and all the beautiful and, and Buenos Aires is what an amazing city. I had no idea. And it is Buenos Aires is basically at the level of South Africa. It's that far South. Isn't that wild? Yeah. Cape town. Oh, so yeah. yeah it, but one, one question after all that, now you've been some months in all these different places. Was it weird sort of your re-entry into America in Indianapolis or was it just like you never left or you know, that's interesting because I, I, I thought I wondered because oftentimes reentry is really hard for me coming back after these kind of experiences. But I was only home for like two weeks okay. and I, we had so much activity with the kids and I was excited because I knew we were leaving again. So that one was pretty tame. Um, Sydney left then for 
uh, started her job in Chicago. And my youngest was 20 at the time. And she stayed with me for three months. And we went and traveled through South America together. I mean, every mom's dream, right? No kidding. That was amazing. So we primarily stayed in um, Argentina and Ecuador. And we visited a lot. We stayed we volunteered a lot of hostels. And, and it was so fun to see her meet again, all these other young people from around the world and to realize that there are so many ways in which to live and we don't yeah. have to get caught up in this you know, very traditional lifestyle that I had been, been brought up in. Um, and amazing experiences. We, we uh, soared with the condors in Argentina with, with uh, uh, paragliding. She learned to, to kite surf. We, we stayed on the beach in Ecuador, which was one of the kite surfing capitals of the world. And it was like $200 to get her certified because it was so cheap. Um, we, we were in the Amazon. <laughs> we did, I, I'm just thinking of things that we did, you know, canyoning, whitewater rafting, just, and, and for like $25. Yeah. I mean, it was, it's so incredibly cheap to, to live in these places. Um, she's a Spanish speaker. And so it was helpful to have her because primarily where we were going, it was, it was pretty Spanish based. And I have to say, and well, we got robbed in Quito. The oldest wow. trick in the book, um, we were walking down a set of stairs into kind of a desolate area. And all of a sudden she stopped and said, mom, I just got pooped on by a bird. I started laughing. I thought, of course you did. It's, you know, that's crazy Audi. We get to the bottom and we are instantly surrounded by men wiping us off. Wipe, 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 wipe. And it was so distracting and they were helpful. And, and, and Audi three or four times said, mom, do you have my phone? And I, and somehow I realized my backpack is off. And then I have bird poop on me and and then I realized the guy's holding my coat up and trying to get into my backpack and then it's like stop and they scattered uh. and to this to this day she and I don't realize we don't know if it was if there were four guys if there were five guys because this was a matter of minutes really and it was so distracting and, they, yep. and I never felt physically threatened they were just there to get our stuff yep my heart was pounding because we were going to the Galapagos the next day and I had just gone to um, the ATM because they primarily only use cash. And I put my hand into my backpack and I pulled out my wallet that was unzipped, but it was all intact. <laughs> now, Audie did get her credit card stolen, but within minutes we walked to a, found a policeman she was able to, um, because it's amazing with the phones, right? Everything is so connected. You can yep. instantly shut things off. They had already um, uh, charged $10,000 worth of new tires, but it got canceled. So we had no loss at all. And just a bruised ego and amazing lessons. Amazing, amazing lessons. So that was, that was interesting. I and love Ecuador. It was, yeah. a, you, have you been to South America much? No, and never. My brother, it's funny. I have a younger brother named John, whom you haven't met, who is a uh, nurse who spent an entire summer volunteering when he was 20 in Quito. Oh, did he? Okay. He All did right. at, yeah. a, at, a, uh, at a school for boys. Okay. Uh, it's a yeah. beautiful city. Big city. Yeah. yeah. These, these walled cities. I, I really enjoyed Ecuador. You know, it's, it's uh, they use American currency, which was fascinating to, to, hmm. to, to learn that. Um, it has literally every kind of climate with the rainforest, with the beach, with, uh, and you've got the Galapagos. It was, it's, I, and Cuenca was a really beautiful, beautiful town too. So, um, so then Audie flew back uh, middle, beginning of August to go back to IU for her senior year. And then I flew to Zambia. 
And my connection in Zambia was actually through a woman in Indianapolis who, this is incredible, through her program, through her uh, nonprofit, she feeds like 30,000 children, 30 or 15,000, let's say 15,000 children a day through her programs. So she works with different schools and has this stuff distributed. So she connected me with um, a nonprofit in Zambia where I went and stayed with Kathy Harding who had started a school in the bush and we went to the school in the bush, but then also, Oh my God, Michael, we went, she had for the last 20 years, every week goes to a leper colony. I didn't even know leper colonies Cheers, were still Dad. around. Uh, yeah. And uh, yeah. So you went with her. To, yeah. Yeah. And I had to, to understand that this is, am I safe? Right. I mean, we always lepers, right. Is it, is it communicable? Is it something that I can get? And, and, and these people went, Oh yeah. So I was in the middle of all of it and, and the limbs that were lost, this eyesight that was out and to see the children that lived there in this leper count. I mean, it's, it's, and it's all, it's easily medicated to take care of, but it's this distribution of, of resources is frightening. That was hard. That that was a hard place for me to be. I'll be real honest. Um, Lusaka is a is a was a hard city for me to be in. So Kathy, um, so this is so, just her life's mission. It's just it's her life. It's incredible. And you know, there's there's a whole conversation around that because she's a white woman, and it felt somewhat like being a, a little bit of white missionary saving people. Right? It was hard. It was kind of. I mean, I, I had all kinds of emotions going on around it, and yet there's real suffering. I mean, there's real suffering that she's helped alleviating. So. Um, and she was, for, um, she's a white woman from, gosh, one of the East Coast countries. So, I mean, this was, this was her world and the politics and everything else going around it. So I just really tried to listen and observe a lot, right? Because who am I with my Western sensibilities coming in? I didn't understand anything really that what was going on. So um, from there, I went then to, to uh, Botswana, to the National Park and did my one advice. I wanted to do a safari. Oh my gosh, it, it, it really is magical um i did a safari and actually stayed in the game park and to hear the elephants and trumpeting at night and hearing the animals in the background and i didn't do this in a obviously this glamorous way i mean these were tents and and our guides never carried guns wow i was i was really i didn't realize that they said there is no reason to carry a gun and what i learned which was fascinating is that when you are in those big land rovers we are, it's bigger than the animal. And that's why they say you never get out of that thing because they perceive this whole one big thing as, 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 as an obstacle, right? But the minute that you are separated from it, you become prey. So we were open. I mean, there's no glass, there's no windows, you are open. And we were within feet of, of t- tigers and elephants. And I mean, it was, yeah, amazing. Absolutely amazing. Um, Bots- Botswana, and- Botswana, tell Botswana has been somewhat of a success story of the last 30 years, right? That, yes, they, um, yes. Okay. Protecting the animals and, and using this in a positive way, um, some uh, environmental tourism in a good way. Yeah. And, yeah, the, yeah, yeah. and, and the, so again, this is so, it's so weird. Then by coincidence, I'm, I'm not very well traveled and I have brothers who better travel than my, my youngest brother, David, has spent a lot of time in Botswana. Oh. He, he, he was a nuclear engineer, but he's an engineer. Um, he's, his company, uh, the, one of his clients has been the De Beers Botswana um, joint venture, you know, di- diamond really? mining and stuff like that. Yeah. yeah so, 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 so what, what, again, what little I know, what little I've, I've heard about Botswana, he's shared, but just about how much he loves going there and, 
And um, again, did you, was that, so was this, was there also a, a volunteer type opportunity? This was, this was truly just, I was, I had to do Disney. my, I wanted to do my own. Yeah. Take yeah. advantage of being a tourist and take advantage of that one. So no, yeah, that, yeah. that definitely wasn't, but it was so interesting. So it was a result of that. I mean, I, I was able to, it's really cheap. I found yep. this hostel that had a beautiful pool and morning breakfast for $10 a day. Right. I mean, it's just, it's fascinating again, how we all think that you're going to spend thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars of doing the safari and it's not necessary. So anyway, that's a whole nother when, conversation. When you're, but, but when you're, when you're going through these experiences, are you, are you keeping up any kind of a routine in terms of your meditation? I know you're also fit, you know, very physically active person. Are you keeping up any kind of, um, physical uh or spiritual uh regimen as you yeah, go from place great to place? question so i really try to make sure i maintain my my meditation practice every day and and most places i was either teaching yoga or able to do had a, a yoga practice in some way so yeah yeah good point those okay. are those are great question um it was africa was a little more challenging i had to be more personalized in the way i was doing it because from from uh chobi then uh, botswana then i went down to cape town and this was a, an amazing volunteer. I swear I got really sick. I don't know if you got to that blog I where I talked about, yeah, that was a, a, a wild experience on many, many levels. But I, uh, the volunteer opportunity that I stayed with this family, this woman was an occupational therapist and just saw the need. South Africa doesn't have a lot of support for uh, people with disabilities. And she started this craft cafe, women in, not, and probably not unlike here, like to do a lot of things, do-it-yourself projects. And so she started a cafe where you could come in and do projects, have a cup of coffee, have lunch. Uh, there was a cafe component, but all of the people that they hired were people with disabilities. And so I was around all kinds of Down syndrome kids. And I had never been around a Down's people very often because they're kind of hidden away in our country or, or, not, yep. or they're not as available. And so I spent, um, well, almost two months there because I had gotten pretty sick so i had my, my intestines closed down i don't know if you it was a pretty wild experience the, this is the full stop that blog post tells full stop yeah full stop yeah. yeah yeah i mean there's talk about spiritual and metaphysical things that went on so um in south africa it, apartheid is still very very real 25 years ago and i i saw our country from a totally different lens through that experience in that it is still so raw there. I mean, only 25 years old and 77% of the population is black, black or what they call colored and 22 or 23% are white and the exact opposite in terms of, of wealth, right? The 23% are po uh, have money and 78% are in poverty. I mean, it just, it's, it's, it was heartbreaking. And I had a lot of friends that were really concerned that I was going there because there was some, there's some violence going on. I mean, there are a lot of angry people because they are, there's no way out for them <sighs> anyway. But so the first week I was there, I stayed with an amazing family. Very, very, actually, I should go back. I met the son when I was in New Zealand, who was from Cape Town. And he had always said, if you ever get to Cape Town, let me know. Well, I had texted him <laughs> that I was coming and he said, oh my gosh, I'm now living in London, but my parents would love to meet you. And they picked me up at the airport Oh. And for they, they picked that they said, you can't leave. We, we're going to get you for a week. We're going to take you all over. So I was with this wonderful family. This is after the healing or no, this during. is, this is what started it. This is oh. the first week I was there. 
so and I didn't I didn't I didn't share with them that I was a vegetarian and I didn't want to offend so I ate meat which started the my gut problems but they were also a little racist Mm. and I didn't say Mm. anything right I didn't think that was my place to say anything and I Mm -hmm. literally kind of ate that and I I think that started the whole problem that that added to this psychosomatic uh, yeah absolutely no doubt Uh, about it so uh, I was with them for a week and then I went with my new family and think that I, I'd so love to share this part of the story. So within 15 minutes of being in the car with the, this family, I learned that the whole family, the parents and the two daughters, the daughters were at this time were in the early twenties had taken a year long sabbatical, year long sabbatical and had ridden their bicycles around Africa. <laughs> I didn't even know they were bike riders. Right. And this is a big deal because I've sold my car and I, this is a big part of my lifestyle as well. So just again, the synchronicities of this were so, so oh amazing. Gosh. Um, but I also had the whole notion of using healthcare in other countries. I, I mean, I was sick enough that I saw doctors multiple times, saw surgeons. I actually had urine, urine test, um, fecal test, uh, x-rays, ultrasounds, two CT scans, a full colonoscopy. I mean, I had all of that, Michael. All of that done. What do you think that would have cost in the United States? I mean, a CT scan alone, right? Oh, I mean, yeah. I mean, you're up to what you're in the tens of thousands for, oh, for yeah. sure for all that. United oh, States. Yeah, yeah we, right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, um, a, a colonoscopy in this country is at least five grand, right? All right. Okay. I yeah, it sounds so. right. Yeah. 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 And so, so, yeah. Out of pocket, less than $2,000. Oh, my God. Now that's also in combination because of the strong dollar. I mean, there is, you know, but the whole notion of medical tourism, I get it. And the quality of healthcare was amazing. Um, Cape Town is where they had the first heart transplant in the world. So it, it, it was just, I was brought up um, in rural, rural Indiana where I was taught that this is the best country in the world. There is no question about it. And I learned yeah. that that's not necessarily true. Yeah. I mean, it's an awesome country. But there are a lot of awesome countries out there as well. Yeah. So, um, so at the end of that time, I had really wanted to go to Southeast Asia. And I had uh, a beautiful itinerary between Thailand and Cambodia and Vietnam. But I was really sick. And I was starting to heal. But I knew that I couldn't travel as, as much fun as it was. Traveling is hard on your body. You know, you're changing water. You're changing just different beds all the time. Sleep right? patterns. I mean, just, yeah. yep. Sleep patterns. Oh, yeah. Lives. I was on five different continents. So, I mean, a lot of transitional sleep patterns. And so I um, found a volunteer gig in Bali at a boutique hotel. Oh, wow. (laughs) Which was magical. I taught yoga once a day. I had my room and board, vegetarian food, had access to a scooter, and it was right on the Indian Ocean. Wow. So I swam two times a day in the warm, uh, yeah. I got certified for um, being a scuba diver uh, in this, then use the Indian Ocean as my, as the floor of my, um, <laughs> my classroom. Yeah, and just again, the local people. Uh, are, it's it's a it's a very Hindu country. It was a very beautiful, calm, peaceful place to be, and I was on the very very far the east ed, um, end of Africa or Africa of of of, of, of Bali, which was really pretty undeveloped, and it was a little fishing village in this beautiful little little part of the world yeah and how long were you and, there in Bali? um a month wow yeah a month and that was I, I knew i needed to heal and that really was the uh 
helping me to do that. I need, yeah. it was funny. I, I got sick in South Africa just from, from gut stuff. And I, and I, every time I've gotten sick, I wanted to get to the water. I wanted to get to the ocean. And I just, my body was calling me to get into the water. So that was, it was very, very, very therapeutic. And then I came home for the month of December um, to be with family, um, which was wonderful. And realized I had some money left over. And the thing that has changed me is that I, I can't go back to working full-time. Kind of shocked me. I did not see that one coming. I truly thought that I would come back and start the second phase of my life um, in terms of a career because I'm in the supposedly the prime earning times of my life. And yeah. I don't need much anymore. Yeah. I don't, I don't need that, that. And, and I also learned when I was sick that your body needs to be in a place of peace and ease in order to heal. And yeah. life is stressful. We add a lot of stress to our life, which is yeah. not unnecessarily. So I've, I've taken on a different kind of lifestyle. Um, so I came home for the month of December and part of January and then left again in January and went down to South America again, to, down to Medellin, Colombia. People thought I was crazy because 25 years ago, Medellin was the, was the murder capital of the world because of all the cartels and everything going on down there. And, oh, Michael, you would get a kick out of that city in terms of how the, how the government used public policy and government money to turn that city around. It's amazing. Do you, do you know much about Medellin? You probably well, okay. It. So our mutual friend, Ken Owen at DePauw yeah, University yeah. hosted, yeah. I think it was right then. Um, let's see, January. Yeah. January or February, 2019, the former president, Juan Manuel. Oh, you're kidding. At, at, you gave a lecture. And so, so the answer would have been no. And so again, I just read up enough to be dangerous, but he's got a great story. He won a Nobel peace prize for, you know, brokering these. Yeah. Yeah. And so, and so, um, so, and, and so I, if not for that, I would have been completely unaware, but so again, I mean, you lived it, but yeah, it's a crazy, it's a crazy story. Crazy story yeah. and beautiful story. I mean, literally, so to see the public money they put into public spaces and, in, in South America, anyway, people live up on the mountains are the poor people, not the rich people, because there are no roads to get there. So they literally built escalators up the side of the mountain <laughs> that, are, that are used for transportation. They, they build these gondolas for transportation. They're not for tourism, but to literally move people up and down the mountains. They actually, this was the first city I've ever been in where I've read about it in other places where they, they captured back the land where the interstate was going through the city put it underground and on top of it, put a, a public park, a public That's space. So cool. I mean, it was so cool to That's actually so cool. see it. And to yeah. a couple nights, um, they have a huge, what they call the Cicla. It's a huge biking community. They were, and I'm not exaggerating. There were 2000 of us riding through the city at night <laughs> and they do this. Is it once a week or once a month? Well, I think once a month. I mean, how, how cool is that? <laughs> oh my gosh. So I was, and you felt, you felt welcome there. You felt, Oh gosh, I love Medellin. Yeah. You know, I, it was funny. I got off the plane and I thought, what the hell have I done? It is a big city. It's not the beautiful colonial cities like the rest of, of South, a lot of South America cities are because there wasn't any gold or anything. So all the, the, the conquistadors left. And so it was just a city that has grown up, but it is called um, the city of eternal spring. The weather is between 70 and 85 every day. It is stunningly amazing. And each, there's so many cool little neighborhoods that have really unique pockets. Yeah, I felt really comfortable. And I went to, a, it was a language school there and got my 
had opened up and it was <laughs> took weeks of language skill. And I think I speak worse now because now I understand all the different tenses and I'm trying to <laughs> every word I'm thinking about the right tense. And oh man, it was challenging. Some people it comes easily too. I'm thinking I'm just old enough that it's. <laughs> so you were, you were yeah. going, you were going to school and working and volunteering. No, no, there I was just, I went to school 20 hours a week. Just oh, wow. really wanted, I, I, I really would love to have a have a language skill underneath me. So just trying yeah. to, to immerse myself more that way. So wow. and then COVID hit, right? And I, I kept getting all so wherever I do travel, I, I make sure that the State Department knows where you can sign up to make sure the State Department yep. knows where you are. And so I started getting all these, you need to come home. You need to come home, or you may not get home. And so um, I and candidly, if I had not had kids, I don't know that I would have come home. Because the food is there, the weather is great, but I had children and I, I, I didn't know it. Well, none of us knew at that time what this was going to look like. And so I chose to come back home and um, I'm back. And it's kind of a wild time, Michael, because yeah. the world is different. And I came back to a, a time where it was tough to get a job. And, and what did that even mean for me anymore? And yeah, yeah. So it's been a real... But COVID for me has been a time of reflection. It's really allowed me to to put in place my my spiritual practices on a daily basis, whereas yeah. I wouldn't have had them before. So, yeah, I get up every morning. I do my meditation, my breath work. I journal. I do some 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 readings, and it's it's actually been really amazing for me. So, yeah. Would do you think um, seeing all these countries and civilizations? sped sped up sped that up you getting there or do you think that's something that would have happened um no i think it was covid i mean i think it's yeah. just time that gave me this to understand how important these practices are because i really never had the freedom to to, to be so deliberate like this before yeah. because with all the other places where i was i mean i was volunteering and there was there were certain obligations still that i had to have and i don't have that as much as now yeah, or, or had in the past. So yeah, yeah. Do you yeah. do you think so? If you had, if you, because you know you, and I think this is a reason that you know the, and I'll put the your blog in the show notes and everything like that. Because um, I like I know a little bit about these experiences from Helen and 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 I having followed the blog, but it, but my question is, it's like if you had if you had taken this trip twenty years earlier, would that have changed? Mm. Yeah. You know, because you're you 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 took a trip that so a lot of us I think live vicariously through you because we <laughs> with us it's like something that a lot of us aspire to but don't have the guts or haven't had the guts to do yet you know and so you it's know kinda, what just, Michael it's funny you say that because I it's one of the reasons I wanted to blog about it is to encourage people it's not that hard to do right yeah but I was a little scared I have to admit it's like what what the hell am I doing I don't know especially alone but that's another reason I wanted to go and do it with community through volunteering. Because you're being dropped into a place where you do have then community around you. Oh, absolutely. 20 years ago, I wouldn't have had the courage to do this. Okay. So it would have been totally different. And it probably would have been, and there's a subtle difference between being a tourist and a traveler, right? Good point. Really. And I am much more comfortable and much happier being, being a traveler. Like a tourist. It's interesting. So like when you say tourist, that feels like I'm, I'm here consuming Whereas what you did, you were trying to 
produce something and contribute and give back. And I've, I've almost always, I hate to, I mean, I said someone who's almost always been the tourist, you know, and me too. I had too. I mean, that's what we Americans do because that's our model. We consume. Yeah. Well, that's all that. And we only have two weeks a year or if we're lucky a month. right? Right. And we take them on blocks of time. And so having that luxury of time, that's the other thing I can't, I can't understate that is changes everything because you really do then start to understand the flow of a city or of a community. Um, yeah, yeah. That you can't get from a weekend. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. And so the when rhythm. you're, yeah. when you get a week, when you get a weekend, right. You want to see all the high points. Right. As opposed to, you know, I got to know the whole city, but I was there for two months and you can do it in chunks and bites. And, and while you're there, you can sit and have that cup of coffee and just be leisurely and meet someone. And Yeah. Yeah, it was totally different experience. And 20 years ago, I wouldn't, wouldn't have been able to do it this way. Yeah. 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 So I spent, um, people always are curious, how much did you spend? I spent 35 grand for a whole year that included my kids and the airfare and everything. Right. So sounds like a lot, but and I, if had I not stayed just in South, not for, yeah, a, year, not for right. a year, though, no way. Yeah. And had I just stayed in South Africa or South America, I probably would have spent. 15. Wow. Right. Right. <laughs> so you can easily go and live in, in a city in Ecuador for $1,500 a month. Right. Everything. Yeah. Lodging, Every, food, food everything. Mm-hmm. Holy mm-hmm. cow. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's why so many people, and you know, I, I, it's what I'm trying to figure out. What is, where do I want to land next? And yet community is important and language is a barrier. Yeah. I mean, that, that's really that's one of the reasons I wanted to start to understand and learn a, a potentially a language um, a little more in depth. But so, but I did come home and realize I haven't given my own country the same attention that it's due. I mean, I've been to every state. Interesting. Again, I've, I've been a tourist. Okay. I've okay. been a tourist. Yeah. Right. But I haven't really spent the time feeling my own country. So I got the bug. Um, so you mentioned earlier, a friend and I, took a whole month and we rode around Lake Michigan. And that was, that was amazing. I, I, I mean, our country is stunning. People were kind. We, we stayed, um, we did something called warm showers. Have you heard of that network? No. So it's so awesome. You've heard of couch surfing? Yes. So this is couch surfing for bikes, bike riders. Wow. And so people that are fellow bike riders, uh, there's a network, you contact them and people housed us and fed us complete strangers. And that is, again, that is the piece that made this trip for me. It was meeting all, even in COVID. I mean, we were all very cautious. We ate outside. We were, you know, all of that stuff, but which, and I want to downplay that in any way, but again, it was the, it was the relationships I made on that trip that made that trip. So memorable for me. Wow. How fun. Yeah. Uh, Which, which direction did you go around? So we started in Chicago and went North. Yeah. And then actually, we actually went up to Lake Superior as well and then cut across the UP and then down on the east side. Mackinac Bridge. And... Yeah. Mackinac, yeah. Uh, we actually yeah. took the ferry, went to Mackinac okay. and then the okay. ferry back. But yeah. Yeah. It was amazing. Yeah, I, so I think I may at some point in the next couple of years uh, put stuff in storage and take to my bike for a year. That's awesome. In the, in the US and just and explore our own country because there's this country is amazing. And I know that. So. Yeah, <laughs> we, we had, we, I, I, again, so doing the RV thing, that taking a lot of trips oh, and we right. did, How you know, we that? did, so not, nothing, nothing near as, as, you know, ambitious as, um, 
what you've done, but but for us, yeah, with us, for us, a 5,000 mile trip to Bay area, California, and then Southern California and back was pretty, was pretty ambitious. And, and I, again, I am nowhere near as adventurous as you are. And yet I definitely got the, you know, Helen and I've had more than one conversation is yeah. What could we do this for a year? Could we do this for two years? Kind of living, living as nomads. And it's, it's, it's more doable than and right, I ever it? would have thought. Yeah. Isn't yeah it, you know, and that's, and what, I do, I do think, you know, today's technology, I, I think can be used and it can be abused. Right, so mm-hmm, it's mm-hmm. neither, I, I, most of these tech our technologies, I see them neither as good nor bad. Um, man, though, with today's, te- like you said earlier about the phone, you know, I mean, the phone, it sounds oh. like really, really helped you. And yet you can, we, we, I waste so much time with the phone, you know what I mean? Both so and. Like, exactly. Yeah. Both. And. Yeah. Right, right. But, um, yeah. So what part of it did you really like about the, the, the being the nomad for a month? Um, the per, kind of the perceived freedom, I'll, I'll be honest. And then, but then specifically um, getting to, even though we were just dropping in a few hours at a time, which is not enough, but the, um, the variation in the topography that exists mm. in this country, I, th- I, I think you have to see it to really experience it. I certainly right. did. I did not appreciate looking on a map and understanding all the rain, the, the, the wide range and, you know, deserts and forests and farms and everything like that. And it's all, there's so much here that, that I did not appreciate. Yeah. And it's experiential, it right? Is, yeah. And that's the whole thing you, to, to go out and actually be in it and do it um, and to do it slow. Uh, the yeah. notion of slow travel is something that I really, really have learned to, to, to love. Yeah. And I think that's why, and, and being on a bike, it slows it down even more. Absolutely. That's I think why I love it. Yeah. yeah. No, but that's really, yeah. I mean, and that's really encouraging though, about just the, the, all the, one thing, I mean, a lot of things are truly remarkable about your story, both the international and national travel. One is just the consistent, like hospitality of strangers, but I guess this is more of a spiritual question. It's like, I, I, I have to imagine that's also there because you look for that. Is that you, Cassie, look for that? Well, I don't know. Is it, or is it that we just, that the world really is kinder than what we realize. Okay. And you know, that's, that's, I guess I do want to say that is so many times, so many Americans would say, oh my gosh, be careful. Oh my gosh, be careful out there. Be careful out there. I can't tell you how many times I was told that. And yet I have to admit there was not one time, even when we were being robbed, that I felt uncomfortable or frightened. Never. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And in many, unfortunately, in many countries, I actually felt safer because there weren't any guns. Right. And you could walk around late at night and absolutely uncomfortable. Absolutely. Now, no, no, no. I need to back off a little bit. That's not really true because when I was in Cape town, this is so bizarre, amazing family that I stayed with. Um, they were actually even doing you know, anti-racist stuff in terms of helping in the, the whole community, but they, so every house there is behind a fence, a, a tall gated fence. And they lock not only their exterior doors, but their interior doors at night. Right. I did the same thing. I was like, and I asked them, I said, what about fire protection? And they did it because they're afraid of home invasions. So there is that kind of palpable fear there for, for the white people. Now, is it real? I, I, I wasn't able to discern that or not. Uh, so that, that I have those kind of questions still around the world. And I even look at our own country now. I came home and I, I started looking at our own gated communities 
It's like, what, what are we fearful of? Yeah, right. Yeah. What are we blocking out? Right. Yeah. I'm riding by. Are you keeping me out too? I'm a white person. Yeah. Now, what about the, the, you know, the, the dark skinned person that's working on repairing it? Right. I mean, it's just, it just makes me look at the world differently. Yeah. Because the people uh, universally around the world are kind. And there are bad people around the world too, right? Yeah. I mean, but it's a much smaller population than, than we're ever led to believe. And yeah, traveling was a lot easier than what I thought it was going to yeah. be. Yeah. I, I, wanna, I, I do want to ask you about Truth and Reconciliation Project. However, there's a, there's a question though that, that and that is, um, did, um, this, this is such a basic question, but I got to ask, I'm, I'm dying to ask it anyway. And that is, <laughs> did your, did your, um, did your meditation change and the insights that were coming to you, um, as you're going on these journeys? Uh, and maybe that's, and maybe, maybe even by asking the question, I'm showing my inexperience as a, you know, <laughs> you know my, my yoga practice, um, was changed because I was around so many different teachers throughout the year, which was lovely. Did my meditation practice, you, I, it got more grounded. It became um, more important. It, it did. It, so from that perspective, it, it changed. Um, now it's funny you say that because Debbie and I, when we rode our bicycles around um, Lake Michigan, before we went, you're going to laugh. We actually, <laughs> she was reading a book that was written by a shaman who actually lives in South Bend, Indiana. Yeah. And so, <laughs> so she and I went to see the shaman and as we, he, we talked about her and we both are, she's also was a traveler and we both are in this chapter, a next chapter of our lives and trying to understand how do we serve? How do we show up in this next phase? You know, what's, it'd be easy to, to curl up and not do anything, but that's yeah. not, I don't think that's how we're supposed to be. And so he t- helped us. He said, he looked at us and said, Oh, it sounds like you're going on a rolling vision quest. And so that, right. So that, so we, on that piece of it, we were very intentional. We didn't get out of each, leave the, on our bicycles till 10 o'clock every morning because we were each doing our own practice, our meditation, our breath work, our yoga. So actually it's funny you say that. So one thing that I've become even more a believer in is I do this Wim Hof breath work every day. Wow. I've been doing it for over a year and I attribute that a lot to my healing. Okay. My, phys- my physical in South healing. Africa. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it, and it, I guess we didn't even talk about this, but I somehow found in every city that I went a spiritual community. It was really fascinating. I actually did a couple of sweat lodges in Cape Town, <laughs> Native American sweat lodges. America, I mean, it was so funny that I'm like, am I in the U.S. or am I where? I was in Cape Town with this group of spiritual women. Um, I went on a four day silent retreat there, which was critical to my healing, but it was also just, I, I somehow found there are spiritual people everywhere. Yeah. It was, it was, I, mean, I keep using the term magical and it just keeps being redundant, but it, it was on many, many levels yeah. magical. Cause you can't, you can't describe it. You would, I could never have planned it. I mean, I went into these cities not knowing anybody in most situations and came away having community every time. Yeah pretty lucky man <laughs> um i know i know that it warrants a much longer conversation but still this is it's it is fascinating because it's for me just as someone who observed you know you on just on social media you know it's tying together you know real important parts of the story um but anyway i know that when you talked about 
the bike uh, trip, your rolling vision quest and trying to discern how you're going to come back and serve um, this uh, truth and reconciliation effort mm-hmm. that you're involved in mm-hmm. is something that people are hearing more about and, and they're going to hear more about. And uh, yeah, I just want to ask you what, can, what can you describe it, what it is? Sure. Your, yeah, your, I would love your to ambitions for it. And, yeah. yeah. Great, great question. Thanks, Michael. Um, so during the, the, the unrest, the social unrest and the Black Lives Matter movement, yeah, my, I, I, I as, as many of us, were just at a, at a loss as to what to do, right? I started to understand my privilege and, and why there was such anger. And, and my Black friends would just, when I'd ask, what should I do? They'd say, Underfit, just understand 400 years of oppression. You know, do your homework. Start to understand that timeline and those, the Jim Crow laws and the redlining and all of those things. So many of us started to do our homework. And I was in meditation one time. Um, where my idea came up. I'm not going to call it my idea. That's not right. The idea was dropped on me when I came out of it. It was just taking that notion of 400 years of data points specific to Indianapolis though. You know, what's our story here? What is our unique history lesson here in Indianapolis? So that's really what this is about. It's Indianapolis's truth and reconciliation. Going back through our bicentennial, we're 200 years old, and understanding those data points specific to Indianapolis. To break the city down into six sectors, and it's not all inclusive, right? There's so many more that could be done, but I think the first ones we'll look at would be um, government services, public health, public safety, business, art slash culture slash music, and then nonprofit slash philanthropies. Bring 10 civic leaders from each sector give them um, a paid black and white facilitator. And the 10 civic leaders would be five black and five white. Um, give them resources to hire a historian, a librarian or whatever they think they need and give them the charge of going back 200 years through the lens of race and equity specific to their sector and come back with that decade by decade report and tell us what you find. Now, and I, I keep you saying the word, I don't wanna be prescriptive because the way the business community is going to go at it versus the arts and culture community can be vastly different as they should be, right? So the thing that I just want is to have those, those factual data points. And then with each sector, there would also be a storytelling piece and there would also be an arts piece. And um, I've talked to Jody Blankenship at the uh, Indian Historical Society and he's so excited about this. He said, Cassie, we will be happy not only to give you our, our resources, give our, our manpower, but w- this needs to be public document and needs to be housed somewhere, which is huge, right? Because this is information that could be turned into so many things from you know, academic reasons, but also then the phase two then is what is the reconciliation piece? Once we know our unique history, what policies are in place or what things need to be undone mm-hmm. to, to, to make this a society that's a little more equitable, so. It's not, it's, not a, it's not a huge rocket science project. It's just, it's just data. Yeah. It's just, it's just facts. It's coming up with the facts, but in a pretty um, concerted way. So it, I mean, it's, it's going to be messy. It's important. It's important <laughs> and, and necessary. Cause you know, it's like, I mean, there's a whole other conversation just, I mean, how my views have changed in the last few years, how my views have changed in the last six months. I mean, exactly. You know, it's like, so like, I really thought, and I've shared this with friends, I really thought like, um, you know, okay, Indianapolis was one of the few cities that didn't have riots in the late 1960s because we're different, you know, we're, we're more 
um, connected here. You know, we don't have the kind of discrimination you see. Okay. So that's been what well, that belief that I had has largely been proven wrong. You know, mm-hmm. um, you know, there's we're, we have a, we have a more polite culture here and we, we're, we're not, we're not as, uh, we don't have the kind of prejudices that you have in other cities. That's just not, it's just not true. You know, um, you know, I mean, so, uh, Richard Pierce from South Bend, Notre Dame wrote this book called polite protest, which recently about, I haven't read that one. It's on my list. Yeah. yeah, It's, it's a, it's a, um, it's a very, it's really good and it's an accessible read. And, you know, there's like, and again, I've just, you've been deep into this. I've just kind of, you know, sampled a lot of the stuff, but, you know, Pierce's book, um, you know, even Unigov, which I think I, I, mm. I can make, you know, I can mm. make some, I can make some arguments. I can make some arguments still for some of the good things that Unigov did, mm-hmm. but I thought it was Absolutely. all, I thought it was all good. You know, I thought it was all positive. And then it's like, well, he makes a pretty solid case for how it diluted the black vote in Indianapolis. And it's like, we are like okay. the largest city in the country that's never had a black mayor. Is that right? Is that right? Wow. Uh-huh. Wow. Yeah. 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 Th- then that that's one that's come to me yeah. over and over again from yeah. the black community. And I, you're right. From my white vantage point, I thought it was all about business and streamlining. Yeah. It was yeah. all good. Right. Efficiency. That's what, right. Yeah. Mm, right. 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 And so Ooh. when I start to look into it, it was like, Oh my gosh. Mm-hmm. And then, Oh, there's a whole lot. And, and you know, to, so to, to, to tie it back to your, journey and why it's so interesting to me and a lot of other people. And this is a whole a conversation for another time, but it's like, I, I have realized that in, in the position that I'm in for the organization that I'm lucky to work for, it's like, if I'm going to be able to make any impact in what you're setting out to do with truth and reconciliation, my approach to the job has to be a hundred percent different mm. than what it was the last 10 years, you know? So yeah. again, it's like, as you know, it's like, a whole other story, you know, like, so it's been four years, you know, so sobriety has been central to my life and all, and a lot of the, you know, work that goes along with that. So I, I, if I'm, I either have to, I either have to say, okay, I've done everything I can. This has been a good experience and then move on do the right thing. Or, <laughs> or if I'm going to take the experiences that I've gained up to this point to address this very complex stuff that you're talking about, my whole approach has to be very different, which is, which is why I'm just fascinated by like, and you've, you've been an influence on me on this stuff for over a decade, even though a lot of it, it takes a long time to sit in, but it's like, so now it's like my, um, morning exercise, which is a not, which is a not, which I don't compromise. Right. My, and my morning meditation, um, it's more like I put the emphasis there and then, because then I'll have more of an ability to discern and Mm -hmm. listen and have the clarity to even know what to do you know if i don't again it's a process right i'm I'm still i didn't realize you're meditating every morning i'm so proud of you well done my friend yeah that's that's real that's the hardest part that's the hardest part of the practice isn't it it is and it changes it grows you know what i mean when i started it was like if i can just shut up for five minutes okay that's (laughs) exactly right right yeah beginner's mind every time beginner's mind uh, every yeah. time and that's the, right? the 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 mentality and and this is in the blog your blog post which i'll put in the show notes um the whole concept of you know uh uh do less know less be less i mean it's it's the truth i mean it is, yeah 
Yeah. It's, 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 it's been such an amazing, yeah. yeah. Amazing journey on so many levels. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. There's, there's like, <laughs> this is like, like, um, you know, and you led a big organization, uh, prior to going on your trip, which had a, a big turnaround of that organization. But so like you, so like, and I, I'm going to have him on the show at some point. So Imhotep Adisa, you know, from Kepper Institute. Oh um, yeah. Oh good. Yeah, wow. So who've been a bit, a huge influence and he, uh, he's, he, he, he regularly sits in on our policy meetings at Indy chamber, you know, I mean, he's a, he's a member, but, and, but also grow, you know, we're trying to get him and other, other leaders plugged into these important discussions. We came out of, we came out of one meeting and he said, um, he said, I want to, I want to give you a suggestion. It's going to sound like criticism, but I, I just mean it as a suggestion. He said, he said, do you realize, do you realize in that meeting how much you and your team feel like you've got to just have all the answers and just be prepared to answer every single, every single question, every single objection. And I was like, thank you. I was like, thank you for that. Right. Cause I can really do something with that, but it's true, you know, and if we're going to tackle, I mean, if we're going to oh. tackle and build bridges across something like racial inequity and something that's got 400 years of history, I mean, I can't, oh. I mean, just, and I'm just one person. If I bring, if I bring that mentality of I've got to address every question and fix every question, we don't have a, chance right exactly we have to embrace the messiness right right i mean it's it's complex it's messy it's not linear and we got to be okay with that and this journey this journey it's not just about us looking at the problem it's also the self-reflection i mean which is also messy when i and i'm I'm embarrassed to share this with you so i was doing a delivery the other day um at some nice caramel apartment building and this was my own my own unintentional, what's that called? Unconscious bias. There was a black kid that opened the door for me and I pressed the elevator button and he slid in behind me. And I found myself fearful, getting scared. And I took the breath and I thought, what, what happened here? Had that been a white kid, I wouldn't have felt that way. Yeah. And I, I was embarrassed. I took the breath. He didn't know, you know, obviously he didn't feel it. But I took the breath. I said, what, what floor are you going to? And he told me the fourth floor or something. He said, I forgot my keys. My dad said I had to come up and get it. And then I took another breath and I said, and what's it like being a black kid in Carmel? Yeah. And he looked at me and he said, it's really hard. He said, I get laughed at. I get pointed at all the time. Ugh. Right? How bizarre is that? But, but again, I, you know, I like to think I'm waking up. And here I still had that crazy where did that come from right that feeling of fear it was there was no reason for it yeah. so this is it's messy and we have to acknowledge yeah. our own our own biases that we have yeah and, and and it's it is what it and when i share that with my black friends it's there's almost a bizarre relief that comes from them they're like okay we know that this is how you guys feel and and it's okay we're talking about it yeah. and i forgive you right it's not it's not even asking for forgiveness. It's yep. just an acknowledgement that, whoa, this is inbred in us and I have to do whatever I need to do to get over it, right? But just oh. crazy, crazy that, I mean, you know, I can see myself doing the exact same thing and I can see myself, but not having, so you had the a vision to then just ask him that question and then he was able to bless you with this insight. Right, you know what I mean? Right. And I'm just, I'm sitting here thinking, man, I hope I, I hope if I'm in the same position that I would do the same thing, you know? And I can't take any, again, I don't know why that came, but it was, I was. No, just, I mean, it's not. I, no. I think I was trying to, to realize that, oh my 
gosh, he's just a human being. Yeah, yeah. And this color of his skin, it's so bizarre how we've done this yeah. to ourselves. So I use the analogy, which I, I for me, it has really stuck home. I think we, we white people don't even realize it, but we're in this aquarium and we're breathing water. Yeah. That we've created through policy and years and decades and decades of, of, of practices. And once we get pulled out of that, we don't even realize that we're breathing it. Right. Right. And, and so it's this notion that we're all in a racist system doesn't mean that we are racist. And I think that's right. where some people they get really offended when they, they hear that. So and it's, it's just to acknowledge that we have a system that's unfair. Yeah. And there are times when I, unfortunately, like, I mean, you know, I had that, that was a racist thought and it wasn't, but I also, then I caught myself, right. All yep. we do, we can do, we do better when we, when we can. And, and where, where, where I, I need to sit with this more and meditate on it more, but it's like, so there's a theme in sobriety about confronting fear. And when you sense that, that when there's fear, um, and I think this extends to a wide range of spiritual practices. Okay. I'm not, but when, when, when there's fear, when you feel like apprehension, anxiety, fear, there's probably growth on the other side of that or some insight Absolutely. on the other side of that. Mm-hmm. And there's almost mm-hmm. like, and, and, and when you're talking earlier about how to bring, how to bring people along, like for me, adopting a posture myself of I'm on this journey, I'm just trying to learn and figure this stuff out, which you've obviously shared as part of your, into the last couple of years. And, um, and I think about, well, um, if a lot of us specifically white people in America are conditioned to have this fear, then doesn't that logically mean that there's a, a growth and a freedom in, in breaking through the fear step-by-step, step? Mm-hmm. you know, I, you know, you know, um, what, I, what I'm searching for is, um, uh, the way to, the, the way to, the way to take this journey myself, because I have to start with me, but then also bring other people along on right. the journey. You know what I mean? Uh, I don't know. So we have to, we have to model that behavior. And what I've learned is yeah. that, so, and it's, it, you're right. How do we turn that fear? I've somehow been able to turn this fear into, it's an adventure, right? To understand really how did, how did this happen? It's, there's really not about blame. It's just about acknowledging and how do we correct? Yeah. Right. Yep. And and also within myself. I mean, there's it's it's just this mate. This is just our one life we've got, man. Yep. Right. We've got, we've got to live it, and we can either look at it as a big adventure, or we can yep. get scared and go in a corner. And yep. that's not any fun. Nor is it very meaningful. I've, I've like I've like um, when you talk about the difference between I just made this connection when you talk about the difference between being a tourist and being a traveler, you know, contributor. So like I've realized like music is a, is such a central part of my life, you know, after God and family, I mean, it's essential mm-hmm. everything like that, but you know, it's like, I've kind of been a tourist with a lot of black music that I love so much. Mm. I, I really, mm. honest, like, you know, mm. I've been like a consumer of jazz, a consumer of soul consumer of hip hop without really like, what, yeah. What right. Yeah. Well, I'm like, no, I'm like, I'm like yeah. enjoying the music and I'm consuming it without actually getting into the depth of what, what, what history, what's the history. It. Yeah. What's the history and the angst that created a lot of this mm-hmm. music, you know? So sorry, I just made that. I just made no, that. That's no, that's good. Oh, I like that. Well, that yeah. sounds like that might be something you'll be pursuing. And that's an opportunity. That, right? Yeah. And that's, and that, that's, that's an opportunity. That's an opportunity for me, you know? Um, oh, and people and they'll, they will love, right. Well, you've got a lot of black friends that are, I mean, would love to have that conversation with you about it probably in a different way than ever before. It's, it's starting. Yeah. And, um, yeah. And I think, and there's, you're right though. It is an adventure. Cause you gain, you can, you gain these insights oh. 
yeah. like I, I do I do think I do think all of us have tremendous responsibility but I do think I love I love that I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna quote you on that you know it is an adventure because as you gain these insights it just like opens up your right relation new relationships that you didn't have and friendships and we have you in the world yeah you know, when I came home, I mean, I realized I started getting into the scarcity mode, right? The market had collapsed and I thought my, my 401k was gone down and I was just like, oh my God, what am I going to do? And I, the, the notion of living from a place of abundance or a place of scarcity, I'm sure you yeah. probably think about that, right? And Absolutely. I was definitely finding myself wrapped in that place of scarcity. And that, that really is binding. And, and I think a lot of Americans live from that. Yeah. As opposed to, again, through my meditation, I was able to get myself kind of what I call write it again and coming from that place of abundance. And that shifted everything, including the, including the adventure that I was on, because I don't, I don't know what's next for me. And that can either be really unnerving or I'm choosing to look at, wow, this is a wild adventure. Yeah. And every time I have to say every time it has turned out for good for me. Yeah. And so what's on the other side? I'm just kind of starting yeah. to look at it like, wow, what is this going to look like on the other yeah. side? I don't know. How, how fun. Let's, you know what, let's, let's, let's greet it with excitement. Now, I mean, I wish to, this sounds perfect, right? But there's days when I get down and I get scared and it's still all of it. But in the big scheme of thing, if we can, if we can greet this with a sense of optimism and adventure, it changes yeah. everything. And I'm going to, yeah. um, you've been totally generous with your time. And I have one, one more thing. I want to ask you to reflect on, cause it seems like I'm going to make an assumption that, um, uh, gratitude and appreciation yeah. because, because even after, <laughs> after having these crazy experiences, including, you know, near death experience in South Africa, as you talk about this and you share this, you definitely exude a sense of, um, appreciation and gratitude. Is that, mm. is that just something that comes <laughs> naturally? Is that a part of your practice? Is that, Oh gosh, great, great question. So um, gratitude is now part of my practice daily. <laughs> but I don't know if you knew, Michael, I did a gratitude blog for over 700 days and I literally rewired my brain. So, because it had, you know, we've all been reading about the importance of gratitude and it started coming out for me from different, different places. And, and it's, and I've always taken the approach when I start to hear it two or three times, I need to pay attention and I need to do something about it. So I chose to do this gratitude blog. And when I first started, I literally at the night, end of the night, I had to think about my day and think about those things I was grateful for. I right? had to be very intentional. And then it got to the point where, you know, if I would forget about it, I would be woken up or, or couldn't go to sleep because until I realized, oh, I haven't done my gratitude log. And by the end of that, probably wasn't even that long, but by the end of the process, I literally would walk around throughout my day and I'd realize, oh, I can write about that. Oh, I can write about that. Oh, your brain. I re literally rewired my brain. Whew you start to look for things in a different way. I mean, it was, it's, it's been amazing. So gratitude is really powerful, really. And it, it changed my, the way I look at the world, being grateful for what I have as opposed to wanting more. And you, in addition to your meditation, you were able to do this through simply journaling every day about gratitude. Yeah, 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 yeah. And it was a simple, wow. it, wasn't, it wasn't long or anything. It was just, yeah. It was what am I grateful for? Why? And maybe a quote or something to help tie it all together. But that was my way of doing it. Yeah. But, you know, you can do it any, any simple way you need to do it. Yeah. So yeah, no, it was powerful. Ooh. Really, really powerful. So I'm a huge believer in gratitude. Yeah. Thank you for bringing that up. Yeah. No, I mean, it's, it's just, it's something that just, you know, you don't even, you know, just, it just comes through in the way you talk about your, 
your, your travels and everything. Yeah. I, again, I just appreciate the time. It's like, it's helped me make some connections, honestly, that I, I hadn't even thought about before. And I, I, I suspect that, um, uh, that's why, you know, you had a ton of followers on your, on, on you had, yeah, like a lot of us were kind of traveling vicariously through you, <laughs> even though there's obviously it can't, it cannot compare, but I just, uh, I just so appreciate you taking the time, um, to talk more about the journeys and I'm looking forward to having more like working on truth and reconciliation and seeing where this, where this thing leads. And it's definitely an inspiration to, I think, I think, um, I, I know it's, I know you sharing this in the way that you you're sharing it is going to inspire a lot of people to, you know, I mean, there's so many, so many takeaways from it, you know, Aww. do you know, take, take that, take that adventure that you hadn't thought of before. I love, I love this concept of though a tourist being a tourist slash consumer versus a travel, like coming, showing up to contribute. Cause that is something that makes the trips truly yeah, unique. Meaningful. Well, I'm going to be excited to see how this affects your music. What yeah. you're going to look at differently. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. It's hard, hard to say, but there's, there's gotta be, I, my goal is to integrate kind of that idea with the work that I do with my day job, you know, at the chamber. Um, there's, there's something, there's something there, you know? Oh, absolutely. There. So, yeah. Well, yeah. thanks for including thanks for me, your time. Oh, loved, no, this is awesome. I always this is awesome. love talking okay. to you. No, I appreciate it, too. <laughs> All right, man. Yeah.